About 20 years ago, a Texas preacher named Robert Jeffress wrote a book ostensibly to settle arguments that people have about faith. And he was grabbing a hold of some hot buttons, some hot topics 20 years ago that are still hot topics today. And he decided in the writing of his book that he was just going to show people what Scripture says about it and put an end to the arguments. Hot topics that he addressed 20 years ago that are still surrounding us today are things like the existence of hell. So he writes an entire chapter about what the Bible says about hell and who will be there and why they will be there. He just gets right to the heart of the matter. It is still an issue today. There are a lot of popular teachers that are saying there is no hell because a loving God would never let anyone go to hell. Well, Jephra shows you that there is and that we make that choice. And God gives us a path to avoid it. All we have to do is pay attention. It's right there in the book. It's really, really well done. But that issue is not the one that I want us to focus on. I want us to focus on the premise of the book how to argue for our faith, and how to do it effectively. At the end of the book, Robert actually includes a conversation that he had with a very good friend of his. And I'm so glad he put this in there, because there is a lot for us to learn solely from that conversation. So when he gave his friend his book, he wanted him to read it and then critically evaluate it. Come back and tell him what he needed to change or add or take away, whatever the case might be. The conversation is compelling. Here's a snippet of it. His friend said, Robert, you and I are a lot alike. We have strongly held convictions and we can argue them persuasively. But you need to remind your readers of a principle I learned from famed attorney Jerry Spence and use in my business every day. Now Robert was intrigued by this statement and he wanted to hear more, albeit cautiously, because he was concerned about what a liberal attorney that was known more for his wild western wear and obnoxious personality might have to offer him. So he cautiously moved forward in asking his friend to tell him more. This is what his friend said. Spence says, to win an argument, you must empower the other party to continue the argument. Now, Jeffress was really curious. He was really curious. So he asked him to go further. People like us who have strong personalities and rhetorical ability think that if we can silence our opponent, we've won the argument. But any married person knows that that's not the case. If you're having a disagreement with your wife, it's easy through intimidation or insult to cause her to disengage from the discussion. But you haven't persuaded her of anything except you're a jerk. <laughs> Jeffress was pretty well getting the point, but his friend went on to say this. What you want to do is encourage the other party to continue the dialogue. The longer you continue the conversation, the better chance you have to eventually win him or her over to your point of view. At this point, Robert was just as curious as most of us are. How do we do that? And he asked that question. This is the answer. You ask questions. You respect rather than denigrate their point of view. You listen, really listen to them. And you demonstrate genuine concern for them. 
Remember, the goal is to keep the dialogue going with the other person, not shut him or her down. Man, that is good stuff. It really is. And the reason I wanted you to see just that portion of their discussion at the end of the book is due to the fact that we are going to look at an issue today that gets argued on a regular basis. And people will bring it up, particularly people outside of the faith, they will bring this issue up in such a way that we take personal offense as believers to it and we just try to shut the whole conversation down as fast as we can rather than keeping the conversation going, keeping the dialogue moving so that we can get deeper and deeper into the issue. There are a lot of subjects within Christianity that are just like that. When we have a perceived offense, we bow up against the person that says it to us and almost stop the conversation dead in its tracks without ever going any further. And we think that we have achieved victory by shutting it down, but we really haven't. So this morning, I want to show you a way to keep the conversation going about a very pointed issue in Scripture, one that gets argued a lot. Let me show it to you. We're going to go to Psalm 19. Now, we have been in this psalm for most of the summer, and we've got a few more weeks in it. We've been reading it together every week. That's on purpose. We're going to do it again. Psalm 19, verse 1. David is the author. He writes, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I want you to pay close attention to verse 9 because that's where we find this hotly debated subject. Now I'm going to project it up on the screen for you so you can see it again. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. There are a lot of folks outside of Christianity and even some inside. Maybe those inside carry with them some hurts for whatever reason. They may go back a long ways. People outside of the church carry with them a great misconception that all Christianity is, is a list of rules designed by God to control us or even oppress us. Certainly those rules are given by God to take all the fun out of life. 
And so a lot of people will stay distant from Christianity, from a relationship with the Lord, because they think all it is is just a series of rules. Those of us in Christ that have a walk with Him and a relationship with Him, we hear that, we just want to bow right up and say, that's not the case. You don't understand. You don't know what you're talking about. But all too often, we shut the conversation down. We stop the dialogue so that we never get anywhere with anybody and helping them understand something different. So this morning, like I said, I want to give you some tools to help keep the conversation going, to help keep the dialogue going. And interestingly enough, it all begins by acknowledging that in Christ, yes, there are rules. We cannot deny that, nor should we want to deny that. There are rules in Christ. There are rules that govern our faith. And that is entirely okay. We shouldn't try to run from it, but rather lean into it. And that should empower our discussions, our conversations with people. And it really shouldn't take us by surprise. Because when you read passages like Psalm 19, you see not only rules, but you see some other things that we've been studying this summer. Let's put it up on the screen again, and we'll take a look at it in a way to make some things come off the page. Here it is. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Now, Terry, let's go back to our first slide. Take a look at this. The law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, and then the rules of the Lord. All of these things fit somewhat in the same category of what people want to push back against. Rules of the Lord. All that is is just a way of controlling us. All that is is a way of oppressing us. All those rules are is just a way of taking away from us, not giving us the right things. Oh, that couldn't be further from the truth. The rules of the Lord have a much deeper purpose. Yes, God put them in place, but he did it for a reason. Now, before we get into that reason, I want us to look at some other places in Scripture that will undergird this teaching. So you're there in Psalm 19. Put a little marker there. Keep your finger there, whatever you need to do. But join me in Deuteronomy chapter 10. We're going to do a little bit of what I refer to as comprehensive Bible study. Comprehensive Bible study is us choosing to find other places in Scripture that will back up specific teachings that we see in one place. So you go to other places in an effort to get two or three witnesses about one subject. And so that's what we're going to do this morning in comprehensive Bible study for Psalm 19. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Now, I want you to think about the law of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, and then I want you to think about the rules of the Lord as we go through this passage and you look for an example of each one of those as we make our way through here. Comprehensive Bible study requires you to read small. So here we go, verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you 
but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes. By the way, statutes is another word for precepts. So you can plug the same word in. And to keep the commandments and precepts of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples as you are to this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not fear the Lord your God. You shall not serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. Now hopefully as we went through that, it was easy for you to see the law of the Lord. It's called out by name. The commandment of the Lord, called out by name. The precepts or the statues of God, called out by name. The testimony of the Lord is all through that passage. He's the the God of gods and the Lord of lords. All through the passage we just read, you get the testimony of the Lord. But you might say, okay, preacher, I see those. But what about rules? Where are the rules at? Well, you can actually see one in verse 19. Take a look again. Love the sojourner, therefore... For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. That's a rule. Love the sojourners, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. And that is a perfect example when you're going through Scripture looking for rules of the Lord. That's a perfect example. And let me show you why. Because it's not a law, it's not a commandment. It is a rule with an explanation. God actually undergirds most, not all, but most of the rules of Scripture, He undergirds with an explanation, which is wonderful wisdom for parents and grandparents. In your home, when you put a rule in place, more often than not, when our children or grandchildren will ask us why it's that way, we respond by saying, because I said so, and that's the end of the matter. Well, not with God. God will tell you why. So in this particular case, he says, love the sojourner because you were a sojourner. Love the sojourner because you understand their plight. Love the sojourner because you know what it's like. So he puts this rule in place for his people. Love the fact that he does with an explanation. Parents, grandparents, learn from that. Give the explanation because it's a lot easier to understand why the rule is there when we understand the explanation. So give the explanation to the rule. God will actually take it up another notch if you're really paying attention. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, He'll tell us why He does this. This is back in verse 13. 
He puts all these things in place. Commandments, laws, precepts, so on. He does all of that for your good. Do you see that in verse 13? Here, we'll put it up on the screen. God gives us rules for our good. The Bible would actually tell us that the Lord did that. Here, say it with me. For your good. The rules of the Lord were given to us for, say it, for our good. Now that's pretty cool when you get to see that. In fact, it's quite amazing when you get to see that. But still, it is difficult to wrap your head around it and to get your heart around it. Because from the time we are very young, we push back against rules. We push as far as we can, bending rules as far as we can in the hopes of not breaking them, but sometimes not even worrying about that. We're going to push and push and push. We're going to try to bend and bend and bend, and at times we're going to break and break and break and break every rule that is put in front of us. Think about it. You tell a toddler that the stove is hot. Don't touch the stove. What's the first thing they do? Touch the stove. I'm going to bend this rule until it gets close to the point of breaking or beyond. And we continue to do the same thing, and we do it with the Lord. The Lord puts a rule in place, we touch the stove. The Lord puts another rule in place, touch the stove. We're going to push and push and push. And we do it with all kinds of rules. You know how that works. Rules are all around us. They are all around us. We have a sign that hangs in our house. looks very much like this. The title of it is the same. Bunkhouse Rules. No fighting, no fussing, no cussing, no spitting. We hung that in our house, just kind of tongue-in-cheek, but at the same time, rules of our house for our children as they were growing up. And it was hung in a, and still is in a very prominent place. And we did that for their good. Because we care about them. Because we want the best for them. So we put the bunkhouse rules there for our kids to see. As my daughter got older, went off to college, she came back. We had actually moved. And and so she came back to live with us for a while in a a bedroom that she had never been in. And, And in the contravening time there while she was gone to college and then came back, I had a sign given to me that, oh man, I love this sign. Title of it, Rules for Dating My Daughter. I know you've seen a lot of of similar signs. Well, I took that sign and I hung it on purpose right outside of her new bedroom. I did it on purpose. So some boy'd come calling and I'd stand there with my arm around his shoulders and I'd read every one of them. Now, I'm not going to take you through all of those rules because I know you've seen it. But that was on purpose. It was on purpose. And I might offer for her good and his Rules for dating my daughter. Well, God does the same thing with us. He puts rules in place, I want to say it again, for our good. Now you might say, I'm not positive what the difference is between a law and a rule. Now, that's a good question to ask. And there is a difference. And the difference is quite significant. So let me show you the difference as we continue on in this. I took this from socialstudies.com right off of their website. This is a good definition. Rules and laws regulate how we behave in a society. Rules are set by an institution such as a family or a school to regulate how that institution functions. Rules, as the children will discover, differ from family to family. 
Laws are established by the government and apply equally to all. Socialstudies.com goes on to make this statement. Rules govern institutions, institutions form a society, and laws govern the global functioning of the whole society. Now, there are other resources that would teach that just a little bit differently, but almost at a deeper level. Laws set out standards, procedures, and principles that must be followed by everyone. Rules are guidelines that are provided to maintain smooth functioning of an organization and to maintain peace and harmony among its specific people. I would further define that this way. Laws apply to everyone in a society, but rules are different within communities. Most rules get applied in a family community, in the family setting, and they differ family to family. Now again, let me illustrate it this way. How many of you grew up in a home where you had a curfew, a certain time that you had to be home at night? Okay, good number of you. How many of you grew up in a home with no curfew? Come and go as you please. Okay, there's a few of you that have your hands up there too. If you grew up in a home with a curfew and you wanted to go running around with your friend with no curfew, you would go to mom and dad and say, well, that's not fair that I have to be home at midnight because Johnny doesn't have to be home at midnight. And mom and dad would probably say something like this. I know we would. Johnny doesn't live in this house. In this house, the rule is you have to be home at this time. As a member of our family, you have to be home at this time. How Johnny's parents see that is up to them. Different families, different communities that come together to make up the whole some of you are smiling right now like, I'm going home and saying that again, and we're going to have that conversation again. Some of you are thinking, man, oh man, yeah, I heard that all the time. Well, that's the way it works. Laws govern everybody. Rules are given to families. And they are given to families and communities for our good. Okay, there's only four of us. Let's try again. They're given to us for our good. That's why God does it too. He puts the rules in place on purpose, just like I did, but He does it for our good. And the community that He places them over is His church, His children. And there actually are a number of rules that exist for His children. A lot of times, just like laws and commandments, we think rules are only in the Old Testament and they're not in the New. And certainly there are a number of rules in the Old Testament, no question about that. But folks, I want you to know that there are a number of rules in the New Testament as well. For God's children, there are a number of rules. I'm not going to try to argue my way out of that. Instead, I'm going to lean into it and help someone understand that, yes, there are rules, but they are designed by God on purpose for our good so that we can grow in relationship with Him and it impacts the world that we live in. So God does imply and apply rules for His children. Let me show you five of them real quick just so you can see it for yourself. We're going to go to the New Testament. And we're going to only look in all the scripture that we're about to put up, we're only going to look at two passages from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The reason is, those four books, they contain a whole lot of rules from Jesus. 
Sermon on the Mount contains a whole lot of rules from Jesus. And we could have bogged down solely in those books. So I wanted to spend most of our time outside of the Gospels so you could see other rules from God as they govern His church, His community, His family, as it governs His children. So here we go. The first one, oh, they're up on the screen, is rules for people living under civil authorities. There's a lot of folks today that would like to do away with this passage. Romans 13 We said verses 1 through 7 up on the screen. I'm just going to read the first verse for you. Paul says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Even within Christianity, we have people that want to push against that rule. That doesn't apply to me. Well, God says it does, and so we have to pay attention to it. Or try this one, rules for families. Colossians chapter 3 starting in verse 18. Paul writes, Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. See how you get the rules and the explanations? The reason behind them? I love the fact that that's the pattern in Scripture. Here's number three. Rules for sex. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. That's just pretty plain. But there's the rule, and there's the explanation. And that's all we need. That's all we need in it. And Scripture, given by God, is specific like that for a reason. Those rules are for our good. Let's try that again. Those rules are for our good. Moving on, number four, rules for finances. Luke chapter 6, or Luke chapter 16, I'm sorry, verses 10 through 13. Jesus says, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one or love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Listen to this. You cannot serve God and money. There's a rule with a great explanation. That's how God does it. He gives the rule with great explanations. Here's another one. Rules governing, or rules for right living, I'm sorry. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Rule with an explanation. And then there's rules governing forgiveness. This is one of those that, man, we want to push back against. We don't like it. 
These rules that I, I wanted to share with you this morning are designed to, to challenge you. You may find some that you're pushing back against. You're trying to go as far as you can and bending it without breaking it. Maybe you don't even care about breaking it. You're just going to break it. Well, I want them to challenge you. And if there's certain ones of them that do that, then work through it with the Lord so that you can say, I need to take the pressure off of that and quit pushing against it. This is one that we push against a lot. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. Rules governing forgiveness. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. Rules with explanations. They're all through Scripture. And they are given to God's children. They're given to His community to shape society as a whole. Laws govern everybody. The rules govern specific communities. And in God's world, that really does mean His church. So I want to share with you 24 rules for God's church. There are more. I just pulled these 24 out. You could go digging and find a whole lot more to go with it. These are on the church app, so you don't have to try to take pictures of it. It'd be very difficult. So you can go on the church app and you can see them. And by the way, if you want to have an interesting time in Bible study, you've got 24 days right here to look up each one of these rules and explore it. I encourage you to do it because they were given to you for your good. So let's go through them real fast. We're not going to read all this scripture. We're going to move at lightning speed, but pay close attention. The church should be engaged in persuading unbelievers to become disciples of Jesus and all that that entails. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we call that the Great Commission. It is also a rule. Here's number two. Make church attendance important. Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25, and the Hebrews 10 would teach us that that is all the more important the closer we get to the returning of Jesus. So make church attendance a priority. Number three, get along with each other. 2 Corinthians 13, 10 and 12. Number four, greet one another. <coughs> 2 Corinthians 13, 12. Number five, show hospitality to one another. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. Number 6, honor one another. Romans 12, 10. 7. <coughs> there we go. Live in harmony with one another. Romans 12, verse 16. Number 8, serve one another. Galatians 5, 13 and 14. Number 9, comfort one another. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. Number 10. Encourage one another, Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. Number 11, teach and admonish one another, Colossians 3, 16. Number 12, bear with one another in love, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. 13, forgive one another, Colossians 3, verse 13. 14, confess sin to one another, James 5, 16. 15, bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6, 2. 16, love one another. There it is again. 1 John 4, 7 through 21. 17, celebrate communion on a regular basis. 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 34. 18, be devoted to prayer. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. 19, utilize all the gifts of the body. 1 Corinthians 14, 20. Be led by biblically qualified leaders. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. 21, take care of the poor. 
James 2, 1 through 7, and I went ahead and said, and many more passages. Number 22, pay your ministers. <laughs> By the way, Libby Christian Church excels at that, excels at that. Verse 23, or number 23, support those that give themselves full-time as missionaries. Third John 5 through 8, and number 24, Make the offering part of your worship, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2. Steve led us through that just a few minutes ago. And the list can go on and on and on of the rules that God gave to His church, His children, His community for our good. And He wants us to know that that's really a way that we see His heart and we get to understand who He is and how much He loves us. And by following those rules, we get to say how much we love Him. Lord, we want You to shape us. So we don't run from the rules. We lean into them. They're nothing to be afraid of and nothing to apologize for or even to be offended by when somebody outside of God's family says, well, that's not right. I don't like those rules. That's no different than Johnny that says, why don't you come play all night long with me? I don't care about your curfew. They just don't understand it. So you keep the conversation going. You keep the dialogue going so that you can help them understand not the rules, but the one who gave them so that they understand who Jesus is. Keep the dialogue going. I want us to end by looking at one that you cannot avoid as you look at the rules of the Lord. This is found in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 7. Starting in verse 12, in my Bible, the title over this section is The Golden Rule. Probably in your Bible, it's just the same. It's called The Golden Rule. Verse 12, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. Those who find it are few. There's the rule and the explanation. You want to know something kind of cool about that rule? It is used not only in Scripture, written by God, but used not only in Scripture. It's been plagiarized by those outside of Christianity. The business world took this rule, rewrote just a little bit of it, not much, rewrote just a little bit of it, and then called it their own. And not only did they call it their own, they put a new title to it. The Bible calls it the golden rule. The business world calls it the platinum rule. So not only did they plagiarize it, but they ascribed a greater value to it when they called it their own. So isn't it interesting that even those outside of Christ would look in to the things of Christ to find the rules to govern certain things? By the way, if you don't believe me on that, look it up. I was digging around on several different websites and a couple of books that I had about the platinum rule. Sure enough, stole it right from the Bible. Rewrote just a little bit, changed a comma here or there so they didn't have copyright infringement on God. And then they, they retitled it and gave it a greater value. That's the way that works sometimes. Pay attention to the rules. They were given to you by God on purpose. And they were given to you for your good.